Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and welcome. This is our first show for 2022. We're off to a new start, we hope because 2021 wasn't really a very good year. I don't know how it was for you, but it was just the pits for me. But nevertheless, I am really happy, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my friend and my legislative cohort, Wes Bearden, from many states. He comes from many states. Hi, Wes. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Francis. Good good talk to you this morning. He's in. He comes from Texas, Louisiana, I guess uh, New York and District of Columbia. I didn't even know about those two, but I know he's always in another state when I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, you know, I'm from Dallas, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, really, uh, originally. And, um, of course, you know, I met a, a New Orleans girl so that uh, when we got married, uh, you know, uh, we we, uh, we we stayed here in Dallas for a little while, and then after a period of time, we decided to move to New Orleans. So I, I uh, particularly New Orleans and Dallas, I'm probably in one or the other almost every other week, and it uh, it's a little different. What I like about New Orleans, Dallas doesn't have, and what I like about Dallas, New Orleans doesn't have. So it, it kind of works out pretty well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you keep up with yourself. I can't keep up with myself in one state, much less two. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a lot sometimes, um, but uh, but again, it's fun. It keeps you know. It, it actually, I, I find it kind of makes me a little bit more organized uh, because before I pick up and and catch a flight or run, I, I kind of have to you know do some uh, house cleaning a bit and and reorient myself on what's important. So. Mm, true. Well, that, yeah, it, it could work either way. <laughs> <You could, laughs> yeah, either that or I just leave it for the next guy. What does it do? Yeah, there you go. Well, Wes, I mean, um, Mm -hmm. you, of course, you're a private investigator, and that's how I know you is uh, through the private investigation field. But you're also an attorney, which you're kind of one of few in this business that is both. So how did that Mm -hmm. all happen? Well, I, uh, you know, um, I, uh, my, you know, I run an agency now. It's probably a third generation uh, agency. And uh, my father uh, was a private investigator and um, uh, did pretty well. He's, he's been deceased now for, I think, 10 years. Uh, well, actually now, yeah, right at 10 years. And um, um, he went to, to law school late in life and uh, became a lawyer and and kind of started a practice and and uh, you know, kind of convinced me uh, that really I should try to go to law school because uh, so much of what we do as private investigators, and I think you know this, you know, your office and my office and probably most private investigators' office runs like a law office to some degree. Um, I think that's maybe it's true. a little bit more fun, but uh, <laughs> but at the <laughs> but uh, but and, and it is it's a lot more fun and and it's probably what people think the practice of law might actually be like. But uh, uh, but but that's kind of how I kind of came into it, and so I went to law school, and I I, I uh, uh, practiced law, and I still practice law today. And in fact, I would say about eighty percent of of what I do now is is really you know um, practicing law that is based in some type of in, uh, investigation. And so a lot of what we do is is try to combine the investigation and the law firm. And so that's that's kind of how I went to law school, and and uh, it was a lot of fun. And so you were an investigator working for your dad before you went to law school? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. And while I was in law school, so I would I would uh I went to night school. Uh, uh we had a, a law school here in uh, Dallas Fort Worth area which was Texas Wesleyan. And um I went that's where I went to school at the time. Um it has recently been purchased in the last oh, probably 5 or 6 years by Texas A&M which is a huge mm. Yeah. Um, money University here, and, and you know we have really two uh, 
university systems, and it's A and M, and then the University of Texas system. And um, so there, you know, that school looks completely different than what I I attended. It's uh, it's you know they're they're building buildings and and making monuments and all sorts of things now. That's kind of impressive. Wow. But, but yeah. Oh, that's great. So, what kind of uh, private investigation work did your dad do? Um, well, he 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 got into the investigation world very inter- kind of in a uh, interesting fashion. He had worked for um, the Central Intelligence Agency, and what how he was recruited many years ago, in the late sixties, seventies, was that. Uh, speaking of university systems, the University of Texas here in uh, at Arlington, which is here in the DFW area, is really a, is a huge university, even though it's not the University of Texas at Austin. And um, and for years, UTA was a place that um, hosted a number of uh, foreign students, and um, we had uh, and we still do have a, a ton of uh, individuals who've come here from the Middle East. And uh, they've they've stayed here. I mean, we have uh, uh, if you particularly if you go around Arlington, we have uh, neighborhoods that are Pakistani, Indian, Iranian, and you can. Uh, and so those people would come and get uh, educated. And of course, you know, it didn't take long for the government to figure out we should try to make friends with some of these guys or as many of them as we can before they go mm-hmm. back. So that's what he did. And my father didn't really. Um, uh, I don't think he really intended to ever work for the government, uh, and uh, he he was a pretty independent type person, and so I, he he kind of left from that position, and then and and kind of kind of kind of fell into it by dumb luck. He kind of got hired on two or three cases that were, um, um, you know, pretty pretty well known cases at the time. Uh, fell into it with a, a firm here that has been here for many many years. It's a Burleson Payton Gibson, which is a um, a criminal defense firm. It was the firm that represented Jack Ruby, uh, represented um, um, uh, uh, Cullen Davis, and all those trials. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he 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 wound up um, uh, helping them out, and and you know, one thing led to another, and found into, fell into something that he he absolutely loved. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. CIA. That doesn't sound like a person who's really independent. Would <laughs> they, you know they're kind of under the thumb of the government when they're working for the CIA? I would think anyway. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think his impression then, and I, I suspect it's even gotten quite a bit worse now. You know, is that you're one of quite a few cogs in the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and um, um, it's probably less like James Bond and more like uh, <laughs> you know uh, the Office. I, maybe not that bad, but it <laughs> it, 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 it definitely you know it's, it's like anything with the government. It has its bureaucracy, and so I think he um, I, I think at the time uh, he yeah. he decided that yeah that really wasn't for him. So. And you decide to follow in his footsteps. It's a great story. I mean, you know, there, there's probably uh, somebody ought to do a story on the, on the uh, father or mother, uh, child combinations of PI firms across the country. <laughs> yeah, be, I think it actually be pretty see. interesting. Yeah, exactly. Pre- pretty interesting. So, uh, so now, Wes, your pra- your le- law practice. Tell me how that works regarding – are you just dealing with uh, private investigator topics that come, run into legal issues? How does that work? Yeah, I get hired really in two areas. Um, the first is when, you know, there's really um, – I'm being hired to help coordinate the investigation with the discovery all the way to trial. Um, and I, I've, that, I've been doing that for quite some time. And um, – you know, I may be one of six or eight uh, lawyers representing a client. Maybe that client's a company. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's whoever it is. And you know, part of what I'm, you know, my job is to make sure that we stay on the up and up with the investigation. That we're not doing anything that we shouldn't be doing, right? Mm-hmm. And then number two, you know, whatever we find, are we going to be able to parlay it into some type of evidence? And uh, I really like that. That. That job, I, I I think we do it particularly well. It, it allows me to work with both lawyers and investigators. 
Um, and it, it um, um, also allows me to work with some lawyers who are, who are really great lawyers and allow them to do their job while I do my job. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, so that, that's, that's probably the first area. The second, which I think we're doing more and more, is really um, you know, combining them under house. And so we're, we're finding cases uh, where we think that, that you know, we can win on fact investigation. You know where the facts are murky, but we can we can you know pile the investigators on and figure it out. And when we do that, then you know uh, uh, it makes our job as attorneys, particularly if I'm a lead counsel, so much easier when you're trying a case. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's easy to try a case when all the facts are on your side. And so, <laughs> right, it helps. You know, yeah, right. I mean, it's, so so it, it you know that that's really where you know, most of what I'm doing now. I'm doing mostly civil litigation and uh, mostly plaintiff cases now um, uh, that I'm I'm involved in, and I'm I, you know I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Well, I can certainly see um, because what happens if you're both an attorney and investigator working for attorneys, you have street cred that a private investigator mm-hmm. may not have. So um, you're you're not a notch up on the chain with your law degree, uh, but I also can see that it's beneficial because attorneys typically don't think like investigators, and so it would be uh, it's an interesting combination to be wearing both hats. Oh yeah, I, you know I I um, I tell my guys this all the time. Uh, one of my best friends is uh, uh, probably one of the top criminal defense lawyers here in town. And um, but he he when whenever I've done an interview with him and I tell him this to his face he he is the worst at it, and because he he starts every interview well what happened on this date at this time with you know, uh, you know what was the lighting at the at this you know he he goes to the very specific, which as a lawyer you have to do I mean it, you know we you know when you're in the the practice of law and you're in the courtroom, everybody is having these great pangs about whatever the question is and whether you could ask that and isn't objectionable and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Whereas a good investigator, you know, the first question a good investigator usually asks that I've, you know, I've run into is, is um, so, you know, what do you know about this deal? And mm-hmm. then a good investigator will shut up and let them talk. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's, you know, I... I often have, uh, every once in a while, I shouldn't say often, but every once in a while, an attorney wants to go on an interview. And uh, if it's the first interview, I say, I don't think it's a good idea. If it's the second right. or third interview, you know, maybe. But but they've got to be quiet and sit in the background and let me do my work first, and then they can ask the questions. Uh, that's the best way it works. Otherwise, it gets um, kind of fouled up, usually. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Well, and, and how many times in an interview as an investigator have you ever heard, um, well, I really don't know anything. I mean, everything I know is rumor. Right. Well, okay. You, you know, right. most lawyers will say, well, I can't get into rumor. But, but for most investigators, well, why don't you tell me the rumor? Let's try to see if that's actual fact. Yeah. Maybe, you know. So. And where'd the rumor come from? And what do you know about it? <laughs> All of those right. details. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so you and I let Wes know each other through National Council of Investigative Security Services. You just finished your term as um, chairman of the board, or are you chairman of the mm-hmm. board now? I get lost. <laughs> no, I'm I'm chairman of the board right now. Um, okay. So I've got another till next fall, and then I'm I'm no longer. So okay, so you just finished your term as president of NCISS. And mm-hmm. um, tell me or tell our listeners why you think that organization is important. Well, because I don't think there's anybody doing what it does. Um, you know, NCISS really is supposed to represent investigative and security groups. And we don't really have uh, on a national basis, and particularly um, in Washington, in front of Congress, in front of the uh, administrative agencies that exist. And we just don't really have anybody that, that, that fills into that position. I mean, we really are the only ones that, that have done that for, for such a, a long period and have done it well, in, in my opinion. Um, so that's why it's the most important. Um, and it's not just about, um, you know, letting us, you know, trying to just advance our interests. It's also keeping an ear to the ground to see what's being passed, how's it going to affect you, how's it going to affect your lawyers, how's it going to affect your cases, how's it going to affect your clients. 
Uh, and so I, I just don't think anybody else is really doing that. And it's, um, it really does provide a critical service to uh, uh, not just the individual investigators, but even the associations that are kind of our member associations. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, NCISS does a really good job of keeping their finger on the, on the pulse of what's happening in Washington, D.C. Without NCISS, laws would get passed that uh, would be detrimental to the investigation business because le- legislators don't really understand what we do and why. And uh, That's right. pri- privacy is always an issue, but you have to balance privacy with uh, the need to know and the requirement to know. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. A lot of what we're doing, uh, and I think whether it's NCISS um, uh, in D.C. or in a state capital, is really trying to explain to uh, you know policymakers exactly you know what what the hell do we do? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. you know we have such a a mountain to overcome with you know what people have seen on TV or what right. they think we do or whatever, um, and and really try to explain to them that we really have a position here in the justice system that we are part of this whole uh, whole thing and that we really have you know real needs. Uh, to make to make the whole system work, and so that's that's a, a big part of what we do is basically education. Absolutely, and and you know it's always interesting because we all want our own personal information private. I mean, I can't I can't think of anybody that says, "Oh, let's let's tell everybody everything about me, including my social security number and my date of birth and all those things." So, uh, but if you have a case, say you're a plaintiff. And you need that need to find witnesses. It's critical that we have access to that information, but of course, it has to ha- be handled responsibly. Okay. Well, exactly. And you know that's a real big. Um, I think that's the conundrum that we're we're having right now is that we have some privacy experts, uh, and and I think if you you generally ask a group of people, do you want your information to be kept private? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think that. If you ask that question right off within the first 30 seconds, I think the answer is, you know, resounding 85% of them say yes. But if you sit there and talk to those people and you start talking about, well, you know, the idea of sunshine government is that we really kind of keep an eye on everybody. And, you know, don't we want to know that the person we're loaning a million dollars to has been convicted of fraud? Well, yeah, we, that's important. Well, mm-hmm. don't we want to know that the car that you're about to buy has been involved in 20 wrecks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's held together by Bondo in good faith. Yeah, I kind of want to know that. Don't we want to know that, um, you know, that the, the person you're about to hire is a convicted sex offender? Yeah, well, you know, that, that's a longer conversation, and it takes mm-hmm. us longer to get there. But most people, I would say the same percentage, 85%, will say, yeah, we, we do need some public access to this information, and we it needs to be responsible, and there are good reasons for it, and we should we should make sure that that um, you know that that happens. So, yeah, absolutely. I think our job is to uh, educate people so they see things through a different lens. Right, right, and explain that. And I I don't think that you know what we're saying here is you know anything that's uh, um, you know profound or anything like that but I just think mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of times it's having that conversation and, and it's and it's tough for these days where I think we all realize that uh, uh, when it comes down to policy everybody wants those 30 second sound bites in front of the capital <laughs> and right. you know wants to be able to make their argument in, in, in less than a minute and a half and sometimes our arguments take a little longer than a, you know than 60 seconds and so you have to kind of go through and explain these things uh, but but um, but but that's a lot of what NCIS does is sit and try to do that with staff, with the members themselves, and make sure that they they understand you know you know that we, that we really have a real uh, place here in the justice system. So and it's not an easy task because they're so busy and they may not have 15 seconds. You have to talk fast <laughs> and get their attention. <laughs> That's yeah, right. That's right. I mean, it's, it, you know, if you, I guess in the days of COVID, that, that's an exception. But, you know, in the, in the uh, days before and hopefully after, 
you know, if you go to the Capitol, it's just packed with people, and there's all sorts of information happening, and, uh, you know, passing back and forth very quickly. So you got to be able to make your make your point and and get off it, and and hopefully, you know, score some points. So, so Wes, what are the key issues that are going on right now in D.C.? What do you see coming up? Uh, well, I think uh, in the immediate area, we, we actually have, I think, some movement right now on this uh, Open Courts Act. Uh, this is something, if you're a private investigator, is extraordinarily important. And, and even as, as journalists or individuals who um, um, just you know want access to the federal court system, uh, can be a big a big deal. There, the act right now, and I think the lead is Rob Portman's office. I know NCISS is getting some meetings, hopefully with them over the next week or two, which is really great news. Uh, but the Open Courts Act is an act that basically will take PACER. PACER is the system by which you know, private investigators, lawyers, Department of Justice, everybody subscribes to access the federal court system, and it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not cheap. I think they charge uh, by the you know by the uh, paper basically if you, you buy a document, uh, it's ten cents a page or something like that. And you think well that's pretty cheap. Well, it can trust me, it can rack up on you, you know, on you pretty good. In fact, I think the Department of Justice alone was spending like fifteen million a year or something wow. uh, in pacer fees, which is which is crazy. Uh, but but this act would basically get rid of those fees, and unless you know, uh, for for the vast majority of people in private investigators, you wouldn't have to have a, uh, you would have to pay these 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 fees on a regular basis, and that would be a great thing. Uh, it would save us money. It would open up the federal courthouse to a lot of uh, reporters, which is a, a real issue. You know, we used to go through this age where we had reporters that were at. Uh, on full-time staff at all these major newspapers. Well, the newspapers are hurting now. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, a lot of the investigative reporting are done by independent journalists who don't have access to that type of stuff, may not have the money to subscribe to every court. So this makes a lot of really good sense, and there's a lot of people really behind it. The only people who aren't probably are the courts themselves. The judiciary is the one who gets the money for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but But I think that they're coming around, and... And I think that they eventually are going to um, you know, support it and pass it, and uh, it, it won't happen you know, automatically. I mean, I think that if it were to pass today, for instance, uh, we're still looking at a few years till you know they wean everybody off. Is the nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 you know, it's it, it is something that um, we'd like to see passed, and it's uh, obviously would be a great victory, I think, for just the the average private uh, private investigator because you know it, it'll save some money out of the pocketbook. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a it's a great resource, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So I uh, think that's good. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say that the other big issue probably is the Privacy Act. And um, um, do you want to spend some time talking about that? Yeah, let's let's do talk about that. Well, <clears throat> you know, I think I think the big issue is is a couple of things. You know, we. This Privacy Act, um, which really originated in Europe, and it's under this GDPR, um, and, and, and I will say this now, I mean, I, I know we do stuff in a lot of places, but if you're a private investigator and you're not aware of what GDPR is, you need to go look it up. I'm not saying you have to know the ins and outs of it, but you need to know that it exists and what it does. Uh, because it it is a fundamental shift away from what we have done under American law in terms of privacy. You know, in, in American law, we we basically told you what is private. We put very strict restrictions on it. For instance, we said, you know, your tax returns are private. You can't get them. Um, you know, the Driver Privacy Protection Act that we've talked about before. You know, you're, you're, that information is private unless, and we've given about, uh, I don't know how many is it, a dozen or so of exceptions. Uh, private investigators are one of them. Um, and, and, and so we've been very, you know, our, to our credit, we've been very clear. But the European law just says everything is private. Your face, your date of birth, your social security number, of course they have an identification number, your telephone number, even just the digits. 
and they you know they have basically said that information is protected unless you have a reason that trumps the privacy interest of the individual and um uh, and that's hard to figure out. That's hard to figure out if you're an investigator doing it by yourself, and it's hard to figure out if you're a court, uh, and it's probably harder to figure out if you're in a in a, in a privacy battle. But it's it is serious, and it is a uh, uh, it's just a fundamental change. And so we're starting to see, and have now for the last several years, Congress, some members of Congress want to replicate what is going on in Europe, and uh, we think that that would be pretty. Pretty disastrous, and in fact, you know, I'll, if you're an investigator, you do surveillance. You know, Germany, as Rissa said, surveillance video itself is is protected by GDPR. So we're starting to see surveillance video now with the face of the subject blurred out or faces of the subjects blurred out. Well, that's right. It's not <laughs> yeah, very helpful. A difficult. <laughs> not very so helpful. Let, no. Let's just. Mm-hmm. Uh, define some of these terms. So GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation uh, that originated with the European Union. And I remember when that happened, it was kind of like the uh, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, when the European Union enacted this Privacy Act where they literally closed down everything. And and, you know, you, you can understand what happened in Germany's, for example, because of the Holocaust and all of that that went on. So I, I get the European Union position, but mm-hmm. you're right. It, it's 180 degrees from where we are in the United or where we have been in the United States up to now. And the uh, DPPR, the Drive to See Privacy Protection Act, um, is something that most states come under, except for California. <laughs> California does not comply with the Drivers Privacy Protection Act. Uh, we have our mm-hmm. own we have our own rules here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to to uh, identify that because some people that are listening may not know what those those uh, acronyms mean. terms are. And I'm yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. But, that's okay. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 like you said, it is a just different mode of thinking. And, uh, and and I don't know that that you know the European models uh, horribly different, uh, but but it does create some real issues. And you know one of the things that that has really popped in the last several years is that you know they have held certain American companies um, liable for violation right. of the GDPR when uh, you know when there's been a, you know and that's. Part of the deal where Facebook got a billion dollar fine that was in the news, I think that was two years ago, maybe two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's, it, it, it is interesting because, you know, if you, if you work for an insurance company or you work for a large, you know, publicly traded company, which, you know, I mean, uh, if it's AT&T or American Airlines or uh, Microsoft, I mean, I mean, don't all those people have some employees or offices in Europe somewhere that are probably subject to this? So it's, uh, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting deal, and I think investigators need to know about it uh, because it is going to make a difference. Um, and it, it it's uh, and obviously that's what we're fighting. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens here in Congress, but you know, we've. We've got now, I think, about 30 or so different data privacy acts that are floating around Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them make really great sense, and some of them don't, you know. And, um, and, and then we have those that are floating in the, in the states. You know, you're from California. You could probably talk about the California Consumer Privacy Act just as good as anybody. Well, Yeah. <laughs> California is a struggle, as you know, Wes. You know, we talk about, you and I talk about this a lot. And, uh, you know, much of what happened in California originates with the death of Rebecca Schaefer in 1989. That's really Mm -hmm. what happened here. I I don't think privacy would be nearly where it's at had it not been for that unfortunate murder of her. Because that's what closed down. That's why we don't have the Driver's Privacy Protection Act is because um, the killer of Rebecca Schaefer walked, uh, got a uh, driver's record with her address from a private investigator. Now, at mm-hmm. the time, you could go into any 
DMV office and buy somebody's personal record for $10. You could do that mm-hmm. in 1988. But in 99, the guy that killed her got it from a private investigator and private investigators were slammed because of that. Uh, even though, you know, there was many other ways to get it. So that closed down uh, the uh, Department of Motor Vehicle Records, and then everything else followed. So I think that's where we are, why we are in California the way we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, um, as, we're, as we're starting to see this, too, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's funny because I think, you know, this last legislative session um, with, uh, with, with the states particularly, you know, we saw a lot of privacy bills. Mm-hmm. Throughout all parts of the uh, United States, and really, you know, Virginia passed a bill. Um, now, it's yeah, everybody wants to say it's the same thing as California, but it really isn't. I mean, there's quite a few exceptions in the Virginia bill that make good sense, and um, one of the exceptions in the Virginia bill, which I always thought was, uh, which is one that we'd like to see, is is basically, you know, this this language doesn't apply or this bill doesn't apply if you are investigating a legal claim or defense, um, mm-hmm. which is which is great, you know, for, for private investigators. That makes sense. But, you know, part, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But part, part mm-hmm. of this thing that, you know, when you're, you know, you're, and, and I think, you know, my point here is that NCISS does this well, is that part of what's, what happens in our system is that all these states act as little laboratories for legislation, and California does what it does. Texas will do what it does. Florida and Virginia and New York or whoever. And it's interesting because sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. And sometimes one state will work a little bit better. And so part of what I see Congress doing is when they keep kicking this ball down the road a little bit is I think they're kind of wanting to see, too, what happens in these other states. And I've been told that by a couple of different uh, staff members now. Uh, because I think I think the Virginia bill might make a little bit more sense for everybody, from big business to you know private investigators, lawyers, uh, small you know medium sized uh, business, uh, the average individual, the privacy uh, components, all of that, than say the California bill. But we'll see. I mean that's that's part of the the system that it is. That's why we have fifty states. We have you know if you have fifty opinions in the room, that's that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk about the PRO Act a little bit. Yeah. That's uh, on the horizon. Well, it's, it's yeah, and it's likely something to be, to be discussed continually. You know, uh, of course, as you know, the language comes directly out of um, uh, <laughs> the California bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and you know, it... it uh, you know, the PRO Act, what that does, and, and let me just kind of give the overview, and why don't you weigh in too, Francie, but you know, the PRO Act um, is really a pro-labor union bill. It, it is a labor union bill. It was written by the labor union, and there's a lot of it has to do with organizing um, and, and creating unions and making that easier, and I don't really know that, um, I mean, obviously big business may be against that, but I don't think... And private investigators have really any interest in that. Um, but there is a problem in that one of the things that, that the PRO Act does has a specific uh, area that alters the independent contractor rule. And that rule is, and the reason they're altering that is because they're going after kind of these gig economy workers. And what these labor unions don't want is they don't want uh, the Ubers, the Lyfts, to uh, to be independent contractors, they want them to be employees so that they can unionize them, basically, exactly, or have the attempt to. And um, um, unfortunately, the way they've written that is that everybody uh, it would almost make you know uh, independent contractor a very rare situation, very very rare situation, and um, uh, it would affect it to where you know I mean it affect all sorts of industries, not just private investigators. I think it would affect. Mm-hmm. Real estate brokers, uh, truck drivers, um, uh, attorneys, you know, paper boys, <laughs> At- attorneys. attorneys. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. You know, uh, uh, paper boys, mall Santas, mm-hmm. travel agents. <laughs> I mean, travel I mean, really, agents. Every, yeah, every, it, yeah. I mean, it our, un- our, yeah. It undermines our economy, is what it does. 
It really does. It really does. Because most, the majority of our economy, and I hate to say this, you know, particularly now, but it is a gig economy. Everybody has, you know, most people have two or three things that they do maybe to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and most of the business gets, uh, uh, done by independent contractor because it, it, it makes things easier. And, you know, the problem is if you don't have an independent contractor, you are required to make somebody who's working with you a, an employee. And if you right. make them an employee, you have to pay taxes on them. You have to right. pay payroll taxes. If you, if you're in an area that requires, uh, uh, you know, health insurance, you got to take care of that. I mean, it, it really, you know, it, it really causes a lot of costs onto, you know, small and medium-sized employers that they probably just don't have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what, uh, Wes, we need to take a really quick break um, so we can sure. uh, we can focus on our sponsors here. So we'll be right back. I'll be right The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here with Wes Bearden. Wes Bearden is an attorney and a private investigator in both, uh, well, let's see, I don't know, uh, Louisiana, Texas, Washington, D.C., and New York, I think, was the other one. She's just all yeah. over the place. <laughs> At any rate, we're talking about the PRO Act. Um, the PRO Act is, um, as Wes said, came <laughs> language came from California. It doesn't sound like w- what it is where it, when it affects private investigators. The part about independent contractors is critical. Fortunately, we got a carve out in California because um, we were able to convince the labor folks, that we had a provision in our act that said uh, you couldn't hire anybody that was unlicensed. So you can't hire a person unlicensed as an independent contractor in California. Some places you can, but not here. And um, in fact, uh, I know a couple of people that have lost their license because they hired independent contractors to do their work. You have to have them as an employee uh, if they're not licensed. So this bill went forward, and it was scary because uh, the best example I can give is if you are a plumber, you can hire an electrician as an independent contractor, but you cannot hire another plumber as an independent contractor in California. So that put us in the, as private investigators, and this is what the PRO Act does as well, put private investigators in the position of having to ha- hire every person as an independent contract. And the way we work as investigators 
say, for instance, if you want to have somebody get court records for you, it may take two hours and you would have to hire them as an employee. And, or mm. maybe, um, maybe you wanted to serve process on an individual and you had to hire somebody to, to uh, maybe conduct some surveillance to find out where this person is. Uh, you'd have to hire that person as an investigator, even though maybe you only needed them for one day. So it is crazy for us, and many and many actual uh, organizations or or people who work travel agents, for example, are currently all independent contractors, to my knowledge, or most anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Truck drivers are typically independent contractors. I mean, if you think across the board of all of the industries that are involved in this country, many of them operate on an independent contractor basis. And there's small operators. You know, it may be, you know, a couple of people that work together uh, and trust each other. And so it really does undermine the work that we do, not only as in private investigators, but just think of anybody that you know and and how they operate in their work environment. And they they may be an independent contractor. So. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, you're absolutely right, uh, Francie. I mean, the, the thing is, is that it would just be, you know, it would just be create such a disruption, frankly, to the economy that uh, uh, it would. And, and for private investigators, I mean, the vast majority of private investigators are one or two man shops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or you know, women. you have to have. <laughs> or I'm women. sorry, say, say <laughs> What did you say? One, you said one or two man shops, and I said are women. Or oh, women? Oh yes, one two man woman shops. Sorry, uh, and and um, um, you know and 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 they ha- you know they 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 need the ability to be an independent contractor just to be able to regulate work, and so you know it 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 really is a a real problem, and you know where we're at kind of procedurally is that this was uh, initially thought to be the Build Back Better. Uh, act or part of the Build Back Better Act. Um, it was supported by the president. It was definitely supported by, uh, uh, de- you know, Democratic uh, uh, the representatives and and not all Democratic senators. In fact, we had a couple Democratic senators peel off. Probably Manchin was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was actually, you know, parts of it had been dumped out of this Build Back Better Act. Now, of course, the Build Back Better Act, if you've been watching, has kind of been, um, um, you know, ha- hasn't really worked out as well as that uh, the Democrats have thought it would. Right. Uh, and we're going into an election year, and we'll see. Um, but a lot of times, you know, what happens in these things is that they get introduced, and then they get broken up, and they get renamed, and they get reintroduced, mm-hmm. and uh, there's two or three tra- chances at it. So. You know, yes, um, you know, we're going into an election year. Um, generally in the election year, the party out of power wins seats back. Um, it's, you know, being predicted that that's going to happen again. Uh, I'd be shocked if it didn't. Um, and, and they would make it hard for something like that to pass. Having said mm-hmm. that, it still doesn't mean it goes away. It still doesn't right. mean five years from now or 10 years right. from now. It's, it raises its, its head from the, you know, the dead like Lazarus and just <laughs> it goes back to us. It doesn't ever go away. So. It doesn't. You're right. And, yeah. and, you know, some people, you know, maybe some private investigators who may be listening to this program would say, well, I'm a surveillance investigator. So why couldn't I hire uh, somebody to do court records for me? Because I don't do that. Or I'm a criminal defense investigator. You know, why can't I hire a surveillance operative? Um, They don't do the same work that I do. Well, the problem is, for us, is we're all licensed together, Mm -hmm. regardless of what our specialty is. So that makes us at risk. Well, and you're right. Um and, 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 and again, you know, it's like most legislation um, for private investigators. I mean, listen, I don't think most uh, members of Congress are not sitting in Washington going, how do we, how do we get the private investigator? Um, right, I agree. Uh, and I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't think that they're doing that with most uh, industries. What, what I do think happens, though, is that they, they get in their mind, um, you know, their bad guy or who they want to go after, whether that's Uber, Lyft, or whoever, 
and we kind of come collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of what we've got to do is either a try to defeat it, um, which I think I think I really do believe that that there is a groundswell of individuals who would who would defeat this. Um, but if not, then make sure that we explain to them how we aren't that individual and mm-hmm. be able to distance ourselves from it. But yeah, I mean, it, it you know, I, the the surveillance uh, analogy that you had right there is exactly right. I, I mean, you're going to try to explain that, and, and unfortunately, the person who's going to determine that is not you or the guy that you hired. It's going to be the Department of Labor. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody um, knows exactly what the Department of Labor is going to do. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It, all of these things are. I mean, f- frankly, unless unless NCISS was watching, we wouldn't know any of this. Because yeah. I mean, unless you read it in the newspaper, and what's in the newspaper or what's on Google or wherever you get your news, uh, is not going to tell the whole story. Right. This, right. this little piece that we're talking about would not rise to the top for people to talk about. Right. Well, and, 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 and let me just say this, too. Um, you know, it, it's, that's why it's, it's, you know, NCISS is very important, but also it, it's more important today because, you know, we always pa- we've always passed these large packages mm. and, um, you know, find out later what's in the package. Uh, that's been going on for a long time. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, uh, I, particularly at the federal. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that I think this last year particularly was like trying to drink out of a water uh, hydrant uh, uh, on steroids. I mean, <laughs> just all sorts of stuff was being passed out of the house. Uh, some of it has no chance whatsoever at ever getting down the road. Um, and some of that's because, you know, politics is particularly divisive and there's a lot of tribalism in it and we're going to pass something just to pass something. But yeah. it, it was, it, it's difficult because we don't really know whether to take a bill seriously or not, particularly mm-hmm. when you're just seeing pages and pages and pages of legislation. You just don't really know what's coming out. Well, and I think the way you address that is the way we do it. And you take the part that affects you and you talk to people about it and educate them just in case because you don't know. That's right. You don't know whether it's going to be included or not. And you don't know uh, what the process is because sometimes things happen quickly. You know, you can you can hear nope. about a, a bill and the next day it passes the House or or gets passed on to the Senate. And uh and that's the scary part. At, at least in our states, we we kind of have a heads up most of the time of what's going to happen when. But that's not true in the federal government. That's true, yeah. And it, it's funny how that's changed to some degree. You know, even, you know, I, I would say in the, this last year, it seemed like the House was passing everything. And, and, and I find this to be the case at every state level, too, is that you'll have one uh, body pass stuff just you know, left and right, and the other body's job has has become to clean it up, and mm-hmm. that's not always the House and the Senate. In, in the federal government, it was. I mean, it was the House was passing everything, and the Senate generally would 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 get together and is trying to clean things up to see what's really possible to pass. Um, but uh, and that's partially because it's so close in the Senate, the power. But uh, you know, in our Texas legislature here, it was actually kind of reversed. It was the Senate this last session that was passing everything. That some of it just you know was out in left field, and it was the House cleaning it up. So it, it, mm-hmm. it kind of is funny how that works. And you have to, I mean, it. it, it I'm, I, I like to tell you it's going to be the same way every year, but you just never really know. And you it, don't know. You know the, you really don't know. I mean, it's it, the ground's always kind of changing, and so it's not yeah. as easy as, as it is to just you know log on and see every bill that's filed. It, it doesn't really work that way. So it it is a lot of work, and and you know, that's what NCISS does. It provides the framework to get that work done and to find out what's going to make a difference, and then and then once you figure that out, trying to to weigh in and and advance the interest of private investigators the best that we can. Well, and it's really important for just an everyday member. Not, I mean, you you were president of NCISS, so was I, and we have gone to D.C. to lobby our uh, our own representatives. But it's so important to get acquainted, no matter who you are, because it's it's that acquaintance that it's going to help educate people because you're going to develop trust in each other, mm-hmm. and they're going to listen if they know you personally. 
So, I mean, right. I mean that's, I think, a really critical thing. Um, but, you know, going to Washington, D.C. right now doesn't work very well because we have this thing called COVID. <laughs> so, and we, well, we, <laughs> hopefully it'll be coming to an end. I so. hope so. I hope so. I'm sure I uh, join everybody else that's listening that it's we're tired of it. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but uh, I, w- I would say I would say this. You, you're absolutely right. You know, in all these investigative associations, and if you're a private investigator involved in them, and I, I've been involved in a lot of them. You know, I'm also the on the board of WAD, uh, World Association of Detectives. And you know, yeah, a lot of people say it's a travel club. Sure, we travel all over the world and meet, and that's great. But part of the reason we do that, or, or a big part of the reason. Uh, is so that you are looking face to face with somebody, and you make a relationship with somebody, you know, mm-hmm. ten thousand miles away from you, mm-hmm. that that you can can really um, rely on. And part of going to D.C. is that. Part of it's meeting your legislatures, but part of it is meeting other private investigators. And you'll, you, if you do that, you're going to be you're going to be a lot more successful because you're going to have a, a, a better. Uh, network of individuals you can call on. If you have at work in that area, you know you're going to have somebody you can trust, mm-hmm. um, and you have people you can bounce questions off when you when you need to bounce questions off somebody. So. I'm glad you brought that up, Wes, because I was going to mention that uh, you now I believe third vice president of WAD. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the Association <laughs> Detectives. So, uh, how does that? We only have about three minutes left, but how does that organization help? Your agency and your law firm. Just, just like I've, I, just like I said. I mean, I joined WAD um, because I had a, a number of cases that were uh, having links, uh, you know, outside of the United States. Whether it was a witness, um, you know, a, a client's office or whatever, mm-hmm. and so I needed help. And uh, a lot of the people my father had used, you know, God bless them, but they were getting old or retiring or had passed, and I needed some new contacts. And so I went out that. And it was worth it. And, you you know, it was worth it because now when I call somebody I know in Japan or right. Australia or right. India, I know that individual. I've met them. I've had drinks. I've broken bread. And I know that they're going to do the best job that they can for me. And, you know, I well, I joined WAD uh, many years ago as well, uh, and I thought I'd never, I would never use it. I just joined it because it was an association I thought would be interesting. But it is amazing. Our world has become so small, and mm-hmm. questions come up, or you're looking for people, and like you said, in other countries, it's been a real benefit to, to me as well. It's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it, it is a net, built-in network, and and again, you can join it. But if you really go to these, and the same thing with NCISs or mm-hmm. Cali or Tally or whatever you're you're in. But if you go to these meetings, you, you're going to get a network of people that will help you out, and you're going to find right. that that uh, will pay dividends for you down the road. So. And if nothing else, you hear good war stories. <laughs> That's right. That's right, exactly. Wes, Wes, we've got to close our time. We've we've talked for an hour, if you can believe that, but I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, working with you, of course, in NCISS and uh, Tally and Callie and all those things. So uh, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. uh, Absolutely. And for the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 